to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. As we uh, go into this time, um, just thinking through the, the Church of Corinth, the things that we've just been singing are the things that actually the Spirit had been doing inside them and that they can rejoice in that fact. So let me pray as we go into our teaching time. Uh, but that, that's exactly what we want to see, that those things um, that, that we are singing, it's not just words that we come and read. Um, those are, those are cry-outs to God saying, make us that type of person. Make us that type of people. Make us that type of congregation. And so it leads to worship of God, and it leads to holiness in us that's coming from Christ, Him supporting us in that, sustaining us, giving us, those things, and then we're just turning back in response to him, seeing those back to him, saying, God, make us more like your son. Um, we will become more like him as, as we gaze at him and we listen to him in his word, and we're being guided by the Spirit. We become more like him by those things, and so um, as we sing those songs, I hope that rejoices your heart as we're going to see today in Corinthians. So Father, we do come um, just praying like as we saw last week with Paul's letter to them to, to be holy to separate, to touch no unclean thing. And we know that that doesn't mean a whole list of do's and don'ts, but that this work that you're doing inside of us, Father, to where we could be a people conformed to Christ's likeness, holiness from Christ, righteousness from Christ in the middle of a pit of darkness, in the middle of a, of a people completely in rebellion to you, but yet we can be countercultural because of the Christ's because of Christ's power and the work that he does in us. And so we see this in the Corinthian church, and we ask for you to do that in us as we go into this time. In your name we pray. Amen. If you guys want to turn, thank you guys for leading. If you guys want to turn in your devices and your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be looking at this idea of gospel renewed grace or this, this gospel renewal that leads to rejoicing. And so you'll see more about that as we get further into that. Um, hopefully you guys are like me when uh, you wake up and it's, it's th these months in the year and you look outside and the sun's shining and you can just see like it's going to be a beautiful day and it's going to be in the 70s and for a couple of days and then you feel like God's got his feet kicked up on a recliner back there just throwing popcorn in his mouth, kind of laughing because it's going to be like 17 on Wednesday. So I feel like that's what he does with my life sometimes, like I'm just a sitcom going on for him and so that may be you this week. And some of you may be going like, oh, I love the cold, so that's wonderful for you. Um, but as we... Um, get into this this week, I hope that some of the things that we'll see today, I hope it leads to um, some of the things that the, the gospel brings out in us, change and transformation, and then that renewal, that transformation, that, that leads to rejoicing. So he does a work in us that we get to experience, but then also it turns into worship for him. And so I hope that that's something that you guys um, are desiring. I hope that as we go through the weeks that you're able to see that. 
Um, Paul had planted uh, this church in Corinth uh, with a crew of people, and so then later on he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. So you've got to know the timeline a little bit. So they go into uh, Corinth, and remember we studied out what that city was like and all the idolatry and all the difficulty, and, and, but then also it was a booming metropolis that was a port city that had all the success. So in that church you have people coming from idolatrous backgrounds, from patterns of all kinds of um, false religions, and, and practices of false religions, and then also a very prosperous time where, where families were coming in and they were super successful in the world's eyes. And so they had started business, businesses and it was just booming, but now you've got all the, these issues going on inside the Corinth church. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians to them to address some of those issues. Then there's a, a second letter, not the letter that we're in, 2 Corinthians. The second letter is actually a missing letter. Um, God didn't make a mistake. He didn't like make it, you know, like his plan was thwarted and someone like dropped the letter in a pond or something. Um, but there's a missing letter. And, and so Paul's going to be addressing that missing letter. So he wrote 1 Corinthians to him. And then, and then they kind of responded back. And so we're going to see here what had happened. Paul writes this missing letter that we do not have um, that was a little confrontive. And so then what Paul did after that, after he wrote this missing letter that he addresses in 2 Corinthians, then what he did is he was kind of concerned about how they would receive this letter. And they wondered, are they going to be offended? Are they going to be hurt? Are they going to be angered? He knew that there had been some uh, people that had been discrediting him. So we talked about that, the super apostles, and we'll get into that in a couple more chapters. Um, but he knew that there had been some people that had kind of turned on him. And so in that, Paul sends Titus um, on this trip to go and check out the Corinthian church. He wanted Titus to go and find out how have the people received it. And they were a little apprehensive. Titus knew about the letter that they had received. And also um, uh, Paul knew that there had been kind of a turning against him from some people. The plan was that Titus was supposed to meet back up with Paul. He was going to go, Titus goes to Corinth, and he's going to find out how the people handled it, how they responded to the letter that was kind of harsh, um, and that's the missing letter. And then he was going to go to Troas and meet back up with Paul. So Paul goes to Troas, Titus doesn't show up. So that's not good, right? Like, uh-oh, uh, did he get killed or something? And so then he doesn't get any, um, he doesn't learn, he doesn't hear what had happened. And so he, he's not able to meet up with um, Paul and Troas to let him know how they responded. So Titus never shows up. Then Paul leaves Troas and goes through Macedonia. And as he goes through Macedonia, we're going to see here, Paul's going to mention, they ran into all kinds of difficulties as they go through Macedonia. Um, and, and, and they end up facing all sorts of trials. But Paul finally meets back up with Titus, and then Titus gives him this encouraging report. And so he basically is saying, in just a quick synopsis of, of this 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we've seen it's kind of been confrontive, and there's those places where Paul was kind of, kind of heavy in some confrontation. Nothing like the harsh letter that actually theologians call the missing letter a harsh letter, like Paul's angry letter or Paul's harsh letter to them. I'm not meaning he, he was sinning in that, but we don't have it, so there could have been some... It was probably addressing some specific things that God and his wisdom knew that that wouldn't be generalized to all the church or all the New Testament. So it didn't make it into our canon. And so, um, so God, again, God didn't mess up or drop the ball. It wasn't that God wanted it to be in our, in our uh, canon of Scripture. And if someone messed up, it, that God uh, just designed it that way. So basically, when he gets to Paul, he encouraged him by saying, Paul, the Corinthians were just like you said. Man, they were, they, they were, they were teachable. They were humble. They were loving. They were hospitable. Now, you, you hear that and you're like, well, hold it. 
I thought this Corinthian church was a, was a jacked up bunch of people, right? Because we, we've heard about some of the problems. You read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you know there's lots of problems. Paul had obviously really just been bragging on the, the church at Corinth, the people there. And because um, Titus is really, really encouraged by them and was very well received. Now, the, 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 the difference in that is that um, you got three groups of people in the Corinthian church. We've talked about those deceivers, those kind of the super apostles that had come in and said, how could you follow Paul? Look at his life. It's a wreck. He's jacked up in all kinds of ways. He has all these tragedies hitting. Why would you listen to him? He can't be God's spokesman. He couldn't be a messenger of God. He couldn't be an apostle. His life's falling apart. He, he's attacked. I mean, he, he bends down to, and gets some wood for a fire after being shipwrecked and gets bitten. Like, I mean, it can't get any worse. Like, Paul has to be just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is my third shipwreck. I'm just building a fire, and I get, and I get bit by a snake. Like, I would probably pretty be fr- pretty frustrated that night. Like, how's your, how's your day going? Not real good. Just got, we're shipwrecked. I'm with you guys, losers, and probably we're somewhere slaves and some some are prisoners and like and now I get, I get you know bit by a snake why not one of you guys some of you guys are pitiful prisoners why didn't you get snake bit and so he's going through all these trials and in the middle of that God is still working in in this group of Corinthians and so as we, we as we see this situation going on you've got that the, the, the super apostles who were going that's crazy he, he's living a horrible life don't listen to him when actually Paul was the one who had God's word, like literally God's word, letters to them. And so um, then there's a middle group. So that's the one group. And, and, and they, there was some people that were deceived by them in that first group also. And that's who Paul's kind of addressing harshly in, in, in 1 Corinthians and in the missing letter and then in this letter a little bit. And so those pleas that we saw in, in these previous chapters, that was to see if there's some of those who would turn to the gospel and hear the truth. And then there's a middle group there also, and that group were the ones who were kind of on the fence. And that's that's what a lot of scholars would say. He's really writing this letter to, to those to say on the fence, like, hey, you need to get back to the true gospel that we first shared when we planted that church. You, you Stop believing these guys. Remember, we've talked about the false gospels that they had brought up. He's going, you, you people that are on the fence, you need to get to the truth. You need to put your trust. I'm an apostle of God, and I haven't held it over your head. I haven't been a, a bossy with this, but but out of love, I've tried to present this clearly. You've seen how I come to you. And then there's then there's a third group, the ones who had remained faithful. And this letter, this part of this letter is an incredible encouragement to them, saying, you, you've, been, you've been receiving uh, us in a very godly way. I see repentance, and I see faithfulness and all these things in your life. And so that's the three groups Paul's talking to there. So let's look at this um, chapter um, 7, and we'll read uh, the whole thing. So in, in chapter 7, verse 2, remember we, we kind of put this, this section, 2, 3, and 4, as a bookend last week to, to cover those difficult parts um, in the end of chapter 6. So we're going to go 2 through 16. But Paul's appealing to them again, make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said that before, that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our afflictions, I'm overwhelming with joy. Now, that's kind of a twist, isn't it? You're like, man, you've been going through some pretty rough stuff with him, and now you're saying you're encouraged, that um, you're you're filled with joy and these type things? Um, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming 
of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, so that's the missing letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that you, uh, that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So again, you see um, the flow of this letter. Um, the way Paul starts out there, uh, this appeal, make room in your hearts also. And so remember in the last section, and we read last week from some, some other um, uh, translations that, that kind of brought it out in our English a little bit more, that you have closed off your hearts. And remember the three groups he's talking to. So if there's some unbelievers, remember what he said to start out that, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He was saying some of you are being misled by these super apostles. Some of you are unbelievers. And then he was saying to part of that middle crowd on the fence, and then also those the third group that remained faithful, do not be unequally yoked with them. You're being misled. You're being deceived on those things. So do not be unequally yoked. And then he went into that, that picture that we are supposed to be a people of God, God with us. And he went into those six different um, Old Testament qualifiers where Paul pieced together six different places saying, this is what God has accomplished in you. You need to make your make up your mind. And, and again, the people in the middle, uh, kind of on the fence, like what, what does that look like? And then the people that are, had been being deceived, he, he, he was clearly saying, um, this is, this is the, the true gospel and, and we are truly um, the ones sent by God to bring this to you. Um, so he's, he's making that appeal. Appeal. Um, open your affections wide to us. Paul pleads um, for that his crew's innocence. He says, you know, we haven't wronged anyone. We didn't corrupt anyone. We took advantage of no one. In that letter, the, the missing letter, he had just clearly, um, there, there's different views on whether that was one or two people or if it was a faction uh, of starting out with five or six of these super apostles that had come in and done this and kind of misled them. Um, you remember earlier, in, in fact, in your small groups, y'all even probably talked about this idea of Paul kind of come down, I forgive chapter two or four, where he says, hey, remember the guy that had wronged um, and, and done some wrong? Now you guys have done church discipline on him. Um, in, in order not to shame him and to just keep heaping guilt on him, turn and love him. And so... That was that had been going on. So, in some of those some of those people, that's that that category of people that were he was concerned. Those are some lost people um, that that have misled you guys. And so he said, we we didn't wrong them. 
We just brought out the truth in that letter. This is what was happening. Um, he also, he's not condemning them. Notice that. He believes that they are truly more united and committed than ever. And so he's saying, hey, to that faithful group, hey, um, we are really actually more united than, than you realize. And, and what he's, he actually does a little bit of a play. Some scholars believe that when he goes through this list of, uh, of words here, that when he says this word about being punished, when he goes in verse 12 there, um, um, it was not for the sake, I'm sorry, not 12. Um, let me find it. Where he talked about um, the... Um, You've proved yourself. And when he talks about the zeal, what punishment he's talking about there, he's actually trying to pull them to go, remember how you look at me as one who's maybe being punished by God? And he uses that word punishment to them like, hey, you've gone through punishment also. And he's talking about you've probably punished yourselves, but you've also punished that, that, that person that was doing some things wrong. And so at this point, we need to turn and forgive. And so but he's going, hey, you know what it's like when people look at your life and go, man, you're going through a rough time. You must not be in God's will. Isn't that how you're judging me? And so when he goes through that, they say that there may be a play on words on that. So he, he's looking at the reality of that harsh letter. And even in all those afflictions that he's gone through in Macedonia, as we'll see him talk about, he, he's overflowing with joy and encouraged. Now, now that's, that's not been kind of the, the, the pulse line of the letter so far, right? Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, in. In, in verses 5 through 7, he goes into this, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn. Um, we were fighting without and fear within. Um, and what he wants them to see is that um, the evidence of their commitment and closeness with, was God using Titus. Um, and so I, I want you to notice the report of Titus to the Corinthians was actually what encouraged Titus and changed his view, and then it was used to change Paul's view. And so he, he's showing them your lives actually is what changed Titus' view and what was such an encouragement to us also. And so he's saying we're, we're much more united than you realize. Even though in Macedonia, going through very, very difficult times, we had all kinds of afflictions. And so he says we were afflicted at every turn. So have you ever been in a period of time where this is actually how you feel? Where you feel like we're just in a period of time. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a whole year where it seems like every single thing, everywhere you turn, there is just much affliction all around you. Um, this should give us hope because this is one of God's clearest leaders in Paul. And he says, us, my crew, everywhere we turn, we're praying we're seeking God. We're trying to be obedient to God in everything we do. We're trying to live holy lives. We're encouraging you to live holy lives. We're teaching you the true gospel. And you know what? Crap keeps hitting our life. It is, is miserable, the stuff that we're going through. And so we should go, hey, as believers, that's what we're going to experience sometimes. And Paul's identifying with Christ in that. Um, what do you tend to turn to in those times? When you're going through things and it seems like affliction and affliction and problem and problem, what do you tend to turn to? Because if we're not careful, we revert back to old patterns of thinking. We revert back to old patterns of, of sinning, old behaviors. If you're not careful, those, those lies that have been in our head, maybe it's been your family of origin going back generations. And so we know that in Christ, we've been made new, but but. There are patterns in your, your, the way that your family has handled things, your family of origin, and then that you walked in for you know, 10 years, 18 years, 25 years. Maybe you got saved at 12, but 
from 12 to 18, you're living a chaotic family, right? A dysfunctional family. And they may have went to church and stuff, but all kinds of dysfunction. And so what happens when things get rough and like you're kind of doing a good thing, you're trying to walk and be a good Christian, and then rough times hit, what do you do? You probably revert back to some old patterns and thinking. And so we're actually, when we finish 2 Corinthians, we're going to look on this aspect uh, about some of our unhealthy um, emotional parts that interfere with our spiritual growth. And so um, sometimes in, in some churches, it tends to be godliness is equated by our knowledge of God, our knowledge points, how much doctrine we know. And, and what you'll see is there are people that have all kinds of jacked up emotional lives. And so what we've done in the church sometimes, in some places, so some places we've went too far with emotions, right? So if God isn't here giving us chill bumps and we're all feeling like we can levitate by the music and, you know, uh, Matt's beating on that drum and it's building up and, and they're playing, like, if we're just, oh, and, like, and, and, and like that, that, that's fine sometimes, but sometimes that, that people feel like that's the only way God shows up. And if God doesn't do that and we don't feel those feelings, then God didn't show up. And so it's too much feelings, right? We have lots of that around the city. And then there's other places where we're, we're actually scared of feelings. We're afraid of emotions. If you show emotions, that would be wrong. See me? This is me stoically as excited as you'll ever see me. This is also me as sad and as hurt as you'll ever see me. And that equates to godliness. And so some of you may lean that way. You may lean, some of you may lean way over here on the other side. Some of you may lean on this other, this other way where that stoicism. And so I, I want us to think through that. I want to kind of walk you through a garden in the future, not after, after we get through St. Corinthians of, hey, it's okay to have emotions and feelings. And I think some people are scared of that. It's also to be aware of not letting your feelings dictate truth to you. There's a difference in that. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that. So what do you tend to do when these times hit your life? I think we can learn a really big lesson there. Um, you're going to go through seasons. You're going to go through times in life where God is not only allowing, but he may be doing the things that you don't even see. So remember the story of Job? No one wants to sign up for Job's story, right? Where all of us get to read about it like, oh, hold it, hold it. Um, Satan's talking all this stuff, smack, talking trash, and God goes, hey, have you checked out this one, Job? God is the one who puts his name forward. Uh, he'll stay faithfully no matter what. Oh, really? How much can I destroy of him? God's like, go ahead. Just can't kill him. No one wants that, right? No one wants it. And what was the thing about Job? The most faithful guy. And that was early on. Like he should, Job's timeline, I know it's further on in your Bible. His timeline's in Genesis sometimes. It's probably, a, he was a companion in the world around Abraham's time. So Genesis 12 is where we meet uh, Abraham. Job was probably maybe before Abraham, that early. So even though it's, you know, the Bible's not chronological. So you just got to slide that over. Like that's going on. There's not a lot of doctrinal stuff for Job to know. He didn't have a big book full of theology that he could go and read, right? And so that all is going on. And Paul's saying, we're fighting without and fears within. Now, we know Paul wasn't concerned about and fearful of meeting death. So in Philippians 1, if you remember Philippians 1, Paul kind of goes in this, to live, is, uh, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Remember that? So if I go on living, it's going to be me presenting Christ. But to die would be so much greater. And he even says later on, he says in there, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ right now, immediately. I'd much rather just die. But God probably is not going to allow that. Remember what God had told him? 
I'm going to show my servant how much he must suffer. And God was probably still clarifying, like, road is passing off finish yet, man. It's going to be painful in Rome. And like, but hey, Philippian church, for your sake, for your sake, God's probably going to keep me here. So even though I'd rather just die and go on and be with Christ immediately, for you, I'm probably going to live longer. And so we know Paul's not afraid of death. So he actually welcomed the idea, which is, you know, we fight for everything that we can to stay away from that. Um, he thinks it would be much greater, but he knew those peculiar, peculiar circumstances often accomplish God's desires. So um, instead of being self-focused upon his own um, well-being, we see Paul's fears and concerns were for the spiritual well-being of this Corinthian church, of the Philippian church, of the church at Ephesus of the church that, that Titus was leading, of the church that Timothy was leading, um, of, of the church in Galatia. And so all these letters he's writing, he's going, I'm caring for you. Remember that one section where he says, and with, with all the difficulties we've gone through and all the shipwrecks and all the beatings, all the imprisonments, I have on top of all things uh, this weight of my concern for all the people, all these souls, because there's all kinds of problems hitting their lives. And do they have a clarity? And so remember, they didn't have this whole fixed thing. So a lot of these are Gentiles. At some of those churches, there's probably 85% Gentiles. And so they didn't understand the whole worldview of the Israelites, of the Hebrews, right? So they didn't understand the Old Testament. So they had one letter, if you're the Philippian church. Hey, we're going to keep reading this. We're going to keep studying this. We're going to keep talking about this. We, someone told us on horseback that, uh, in Colossae that there's another letter. We're hoping to get that in the next few weeks. Just pray. Let's pray right now that those people don't get killed or mobbed trying to get that letter because they didn't remember. They didn't, know, they didn't have what we have. They, they didn't understand that, oh, it's going to be all put together. And so just little bitty pieces and trying to teach them the Old Testament views of God. And so very, very difficult times. And he's saying, my concern is for all these churches and for you, Corinthians, and you've actually responded in a great way to, to where now Titus was blown away by, by the love and the mercy and the grace that you received him in. Um, and so he noticed, noticed this, it's, it's God. God comforted us through Titus. So I want you to see that because um, God knows exactly what type of comfort that we need. Um, so Titus is, is not the comfort. It, Titus is the vehicle used to bring comfort. They did enjoy Titus. Titus was comforting that way. But God, notice what Paul says, God brought us comfort through Titus. Now, here, here's a stopping point for us to think through. Um, what if you are the, are the very comfort that people need, your life? What if Titus was removed from this weighty, complex situation? Take Titus out of the situation. What if Titus decided, just, it's a mess. You know what? There's some traffic problems. There's some weather problems. I know Paul wanted me to go check them out, but man, they're a mess already. I've heard. I mean, Paul kind of bragged on them, but I also heard about all the other crazy stuff going on. Like, it's a crazy church. Remember how we said the Corinthian church, most of us would hear about it? And like week one, we'd be like, ah, I think we'll go on down the road to another place, right? Titus knows what's going on. What if Titus just went, you know what? I'm, I'm going to opt out. People's lives are too messy. It's too difficult. It's too time-consuming. I don't have time for, I've got, I've got my own stuff going on. What if God wants to use you to be the vessel of comfort for people, even though that you may not think that you really have that much to offer? 
If you think that you're this person that really, you know, I just, man, I'm just not really good with people, or I, I'm not, I'm not really good at, I've never really discipled people, I've never really led people spiritually, I've never, maybe you just being you, he doesn't need you to be John Piper or John MacArthur or Matt Chandler. He needs you to be you. And he created you in a specific body so we're not walking around without an arm. So you're, you're a church without an arm and without a left foot because that's an awkward body, right? And so God's going, hey, you being you is what people need. I don't need you to be Beth Moore. I don't need you to be Priscilla Shire. I, I need you to be you and loving them and growing together. Paul had received comfort through Titus. So now now catch the picture here. This going backwards. Paul and his whole crew, miserable circumstances. Titus comes, what was it like? Or they, they wanted to kill us? Because everywhere we go, they're wanting to kill us, right? And so then, and like, no, no, actually, Titus, Titus brings comfort. No, actually, they received us well. They were hospitable. They were loving. And they actually, there were some that were repenting and, and realizing they wanted to become part of the faithful ones. They realized we were being misled by some of those super apostles. And so where did Titus get his encouragement? Notice the connection. Paul and their crew was encouraged through Titus coming. Where did, Paul, where did Titus get his encouragement? Through the people, the other vessels. And so that's what the body of Christ can be. And so we could be this encouragement. So don't opt out thinking like, uh, I'm, I'm just don't, I don't have that much to say in small group. Or I, I just don't, I don't know enough of the Bible. God knows where you're at. But the very people um, that, that are surrounded by you, um, th- th- that's what it feels like. They need other people there. They need other people. God uses that for encouragement. Um, Paul received comfort from Titus. Titus received comfort from them. What, what, what do you think it was about him coming that brought comfort? It was his report of them about the humility and the obedience and the faithfulness of the Corinthian church, even though they had a huge mess. So it wasn't that Paul was lying to him, because Titus already knew, and Titus probably knew the content of that second letter. And so um, in that, no, notice that, that, that's him going into the mess. That's Paul stepping into the mess. That, that's Titus stepping into the mess. And, and that's what's scary for many of us. Um, he goes on, he said, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, in verse 8, I don't regret it, though I did regret it for a while, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. So, so now let's, let's think through this letter. If we go back backwards in 2 Corinthians to chapter 2, Paul addressed this letter also, and he said, this is chapter 2, if we're going back a few chapters, and he says, as I, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came... I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So Paul says that out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. And so when he wrote that second letter there, he was going, this is not easy, but I had to do this because of my love for you. So again, when our boys are doing something and I step in like, hey, hey, what, what's going on here? They didn't like, oh, father, please give us some wisdom. Would you read a couple of Proverbs or a couple of Psalms as you admonish us and exhort us to, to higher gospel living? That's not usually the case on, on the first few seconds, right? Your kids may be different, but that's, that's not the case with ours. And so when, when Paul's doing this, it, it, it's with much difficulty. Man, I, comfort and, and just, just means I don't have to deal with problems. 
And, and comfort is a huge idol in our lives. So we fear um, stepping in and talking to people. So this speaks to this idea of spiritual and loving confrontation. So a couple things. That, so we've been in different churches and different scenarios. A couple things. And even back in the college ministry days, um, college guys and college girls were always kind of dealing with, hey, what do we do? We kind of got this person. They're coming to the college ministry or the, these people that are coming to the church. But, man, they've got some whacked out stuff going on in their lives. And so one of the things that we talk about is at some point, someone's got to lovingly step in and bring some truth to them, right? And so two big areas I always talk about is content and method. And what I mean by that is sometimes uh, someone may come to you and they may just step into your life and be like, hey, man, I, I see the way that you're talking to your wife, and you make some jokes about her in small group, and you said this also, and you never really listen. You kind of interrupt people, and so, and so maybe the content's exactly right. So some of you are like, yeah, I can see that happening. So the content's right, but the method, maybe you just kind of shock them out of the water like, man, I was actually just coming out of the bathroom as, as we are doing setup at church, and you pulled me aside and did that. Like maybe the method wasn't right. So I always tell people, if you were hurt by the method, consider the content. Because you are a jerk to your wife, and you do interrupt everyone, and you don't listen, and you don't really care about others, and you think you've got it all figured. So the, the content was right. That was great that he said that. Yeah, or if people do the, the we've, had the, we've had this happen where literally in small group, um, a wife would bring stuff out about her husband. So if y'all been in those settings, we're like, oh my God, that's stupid. He always says stupid stuff. He, and the guy's just turning red, and you're just like, uh, I've always felt like their marriage was a little off. But like, she used small group as the method to confront him on stuff. And we've also had wives like, oh, he comes home. And I mean, as soon as he comes home, he, you know, Sanky, you're talking about having family devotions. He comes home, gets in his recliner, turns on Fox News, and he's snoring within 30 minutes. And I'm still fixing dinner. The kids are going crazy. I just need someone. Like, that's in small group, like first five minutes. And you're like, maybe that's not the best method. The content seems like it's true, but that's not the best method. So if someone comes to you, or if you feel like you need to talk to someone about something, first of all, just let prayer lead the way for a while. Now, if a guy's beating his kids and you're saying black and blue bruises, you don't go, oh, we just need to pray for three or four months, right? Uh, if, if like he's, he's drunk and driving around the neighborhood, you know, like, well, we need to pray for six months and be real gentle about this. There's certain scenarios. But if it's certain little patterns that you see, man, just, just take some time. And in that, you, you may just have, you, you may not have a clear picture. So sometimes your content can be off. So sometimes people, and what we do sometimes, we're assuming we know situations. And so uh, there's all kinds of scenarios where you're watching certain things go on and you're like, oh, I feel like I really need to kind of talk to this guy. Maybe you should just go and get some time with them and just ask questions. Get some time with her. Instead of going and assuming that they're, they're a horrible parent and they're a horrible marriage and that they just don't care and all these things, maybe you need to go in like, hey, man, we really haven't got to spend very much time. Hey, how's life going right now? And they may, you know, like you may be like, hey, like you're living in chaos, but, um, but you're telling me everything's all right. It may take some time. But then, or they may break up in the first five minutes and go, actually, did you know my mom passed away? And then my, my, my wife's, uh, you know, sister has cancer. And then one of our kids just got diagnosed with this. And then we had this happen. And, our, and then you're like, oh, I'm so glad that I didn't go and just blow them out of the water with your kids seem out of control. Is there, you look like you're, you're kind of stressed all the time. Why aren't you more joyful at church? Like I've just had people do those things. And so maybe, so when, when someone comes to you with the wrong, maybe method, consider the content, take some time, ask the Holy Spirit to just help me to see, um, particularly 
if it's the case that maybe this is the fifth or sixth time that someone has went through the awkwardness to bring these things up to you, and it's like the fifth or sixth group of people or someone that's fifth or sixth time that people have brought out the same exact content, you should consider that, right? Like they're, they don't want to have to do that. So think through that. Um, some do bad content with, with, with a good method. Um, some do really uh, good content but really bad methods. And so think through that. Um, and so that's what Paul had done with these people, confronting them. So why do you think that we usually fear confronting someone who, who clearly has a pattern in their life that needs to be seen and talked about? Um, what are some of the natural fears of confrontation? Uh, often, again, we didn't grow up in a home where loving talks were the way of con- confrontation was handled. We, we never had them in our family of origin, nor in the church. We didn't see how that worked out good. We never saw good examples of Matthew 18, and so people just kind of sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, passive, 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 and then boom, an explosion. And it's like, that, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It should be months and months of talking or weeks and weeks of finding out information. Be curious first. Don't come assuming that you know all the stuff. Find out what's going on. And sometimes some people, they've never had anyone even just ask, how are things going? Man, how are, how are you doing through all this? And so think through that instead of just coming and assuming and pointing fingers and demanding change. And so um, think through, why is it that I fear doing that? Because maybe I haven't seen good examples of that in, in, in my family of origin. Don't think that that isn't affecting you. Um, we're fearful of broken relationships. We're fear, fearful of a lost friendship. We're fearful, fearful of not being received well. Um, we watched, one, I think we watched a, one of those Jim Carrey movies last night, and he lisped through the whole thing, so I'm doing that all morning long. I'm saying stuff wrong all morning long. Um, we're afraid of our own sin being called out. So that's sometimes, well, I, I really probably shouldn't say something to them because I've got my own faults. That's, that's, that's not what, what the deal is. Um, I hope we can see through this story the hope that we can have if this approach is done correctly with right content and method. The hearts are softened, and, and it could bring great renewal. Um, so um, think through those things. Paul says, I did regret it for a while, and I see that my letter grieved you, though only for a little while. And so now we go into this, this, this thing of, of two responses, and you need to think through this also. Um, are you a type person who has such a chip on your shoulder all the time that when someone, it could be me preaching, it could, it could be a book study you're going through, it could be your spouse talking to you about something like, hey, you did this. Are, are you always offended first or are you open to conviction? So there's times when I will, like there's times I will sit there in, 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 in our 20-somethings or even at New Beginnings or even here sometimes, like where, where here's the main message, main message, main message, and you may walk away just like, well, he said this. And I like, as soon as they hear something, if you're, if you're immediately offended, you're not going to have a humbled heart. You're, you're, if you're offended easily and offended quickly, then, then you're not going to hear. And, and not, not necessarily Sankey's words, but when I bring up something and the Holy Spirit's going, hey, I'd love to scratch the surface on the, oh, you're, you're ticked off. Okay. Three or four weeks later, I'd love to scratch the surface. Oh, okay. Okay, let's keep going around this mountain. Let's keep going. So do you see what the deal is there? Sometimes we're so offended so quickly that, that we're, we're not open to conviction. And a lot of times, if you've been married long enough, or if you've had kids long enough, or you've been in relationships long enough, um, there's patterns of the way that you treat people and patterns of the way that you do things. And we just have this chip on our shoulder. And sometimes you don't need to knock it off. I just step into a conversation and hear something, and I'm knocking it off, and I'm ready for a fight right there. 
That shouldn't be the church. And so what he's saying with the Corinthians is like, you didn't do that at all. It, godly grief moved you to conviction. And so that's what we see in this next session, what's so beautiful. Um, how we respond has the opportunity to either cause greater harm or great renewal. Look what has happened with Paul and with Titus and the whole group and the church. And it also affects the, 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 the bigger, those, those middle of the road, the on-the-fence people. Either there's a multiplication of grace, a spreading of grace, or there's great harm done. He says, you were grieved only for a little while, but godly grief took over instead of worldly grief. So now we have this huge point, of the, the main point of the chapter, where you have a definition of godly grief versus worldly grief. So notice there in verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief only produces death. So godly, gritty, godly grief produces at a heart level repentance. So um, let, let's go through his list of seven evidences that he reads out there. So in verse 11 through, I uh, know it's just all verse 11, um, where he lists out these seven um, evidences. And then we're going to make a look at this uh, main point that he's making about godly grief versus worldly grief. First of all, he says, here's what I saw. This is why I know that there was godly grief that pr produced transformation and change. First, there's earnestness. He says, foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So what he means by earnestness, they rejected that, that, that passive indifference, or if there was, had been some seeds of mistrust sown, he says, you moved past that and you trusted the Holy Spirit, you, you asked the Holy Spirit, you didn't get offended, you didn't take it personally, some of you may have been on the other side and kind of were joining it, and you know what, you, you trusted the Holy Spirit, and look what happened, you, you landed in earnestness, in, in truth. Um, you, you were eager to clear yourselves. Hey, and so they're, they're, they were writing letters back and forth to Paul, and so they believe that they were very clear to Titus that, yes, that is going on. That was right when Paul wrote that about that group of people there. But, hey, we were not in that. We were not in the middle of that. We were, we were, we were trying to figure out what was going on. And, we, and they even confronted the guy. Remember, we know that there was part of that where they had confronted him, and he was saying, okay, now you've confronted. Now let's let up a little bit. Let's go and love this guy. And so indignation, this was towards the offenders and towards themselves and how they had uh, initially been led astray, which was the reason for that previous letter. They had fear. Now remember in the book of Acts, remember like some weird scenarios, like the apostles were doing something, like Peter and the boys were all doing something, Jesus' disciples, and like somebody uh, steps up and does something wrong, and they like, boom, drop dead. So like, you know, like you didn't, like early on, it's like, we don't want to offend God. And so in, in the book of Acts, in the Old Testament, it had periods where sometimes if God's spokesperson was there and something happened and someone was misleading or lying, like, boom, they just died. So remember that in the book of Acts, there's two or three scenarios like that. So they were probably like, fear, yeah. And like Paul didn't, didn't, didn't use that. You know, that wasn't his only line to them. But they were probably going, man, this is kind of serious. He's one of God's apostles. Uh, there's been a lot of deaths when, when people are handling this wrong. Also longing. They had a desire to make things right with Paul and with God. They had zeal to honor God in making things correct. And then also he said punishment. Again, um, it was demonstrated through their follow-through. And the groups that had separated and the ones who had said, no, that, that is wrong over there. And they had confronted and they would followed through with that confrontation on that guy. And then, then they said, hey, this is wrong and we're, we're clarifying. We're over here. And so he said all of that. And part of that was probably difficult. And remember that wordplay, punishment. Oh, some of you didn't like me because of all the difficulties I was going through? Aren't you going through difficulty also? And so he was saying, hey, see, we're, we're joined together in this. 
So godly grief versus worldly grief produces two different types of things. Um, Let's look at worldly grief. There's a type of sorrow that we may feel and even experience very, very deeply that doesn't lead to repentance. Um, and here's the difficulty. So here, so I've, I've, I've prayed a prayer. I've been a Christian. I've been walking with the Lord two years, five years, ten years, whatever. But you have these patterns that are holding you back sometimes. And you're aware of it. And believe me, other people are aware of it. And what we don't realize is what, what at, we need to get at something at the root of that. And so sometimes just worldly grief, here's the pattern in your family of origin that you've walked out, and then when you go through difficult times, you turn back to. It's called self. Anyone identify with that? Like self. That, that it's always going to be an idolatry. It's self-centered. It's self-protective. Worldly grief is rooted in and fixated on self because self is the center point of sin. Loving self, being self-deceived, being concerned chiefly about self instead of others. Um, that's the evidence of worldly grief going on. Worldly grief focuses on its own heart. It reaches for and requests that everyone else sees my grief. I want you to see my grief. And so I request for you to see that grief. It's an emphasis on self. Um, it leads to um, just ongoing patterns. Instead of a, a heart that's softened, going, you know what, I, I may go through these difficult times, but I need to consider the content here. If that's true, maybe something needs to change and renew in me. And so that's the, the godly grief that leads to repentance. Um, it traces the feelings of um, our, our feelings and emotions or thoughts back to sorrow and guilt and even sadness that sees we've done something wrong, that we've sinned against God or sinned against others. So that's why it says in Matthew, you know, if you Matthew, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, um, blessed are those who mourn, meaning, remember we, we've studied that out, that mourn over their sin, for they will be comforted. So if you have a pattern of never being comforted, going around the mountain, never being comforted, never being comforted, never being comforted, maybe it's because every time that something happens, you, you go to self. Those patterns that you learn to do, that your mom and dad ingrained in you. That's the reason you can't have really good relationships. That's the reason that you can't have more than just one, one solitary friend. Um, we, we, we're looking at our boys and stuff and like seeing like, hey, are they, are they good at relationships or are they good at picking one or two and, and just one or two and that's it because it's too difficult to have those things. So no, wait, man, we, we need to have better relationships than that. Um, when you've been hurt, when you've been in churches and stuff, you can get hurt a lot. So then what, what do you tend to do? Um, wounded animals don't act right. Have you ever tried to help a dog that, that's been, his foot's been run over or a cat or something? They've had an injury or they've got, they've got hurt in some way and they're in a corner. When you go to try to bring comfort or help them, what do they do? They bite. Wounded animals don't act right. So in the church, wounded people, we don't act right. And so it, it, we don't realize sometimes maybe just indifference. It may be very aggressive. It may be just be very um, just just hurt and wounded. And so you've got to think through that. And so what, what what's easy to do in a two year thing of COVID is go see even it's even more so to just just to pull out, just to not have anything to do with that. It's too hurtful. And no, you're right. But we're not depending on the spirit. We're going to a self-centeredness versus this godly grief that can realize, I need the spirit's help in this. I need there to be levels of, of, of growth happening. So um, when you think about godly grief, um, 
this is what drives us to repentance. So think through this, especially if you have children. Uh, this is one of the most helpful areas. Um, what's difficult is when kids are so young, even though we may see a, a behavior change, even, even sorrow over their sins, maybe they're, they've been hitting their brother, hitting their sister, um, it's difficult to discern whether following Christ has actually been weighed against true temptation. So when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's hard to see. Well, I mean, he's really showing that he's sorry now about hitting his brother or being mean or his words and everything. There's a world of difference between that temptation, like I want that toy, I want the Xbox controller, bam, right? Like you're like, oh man, he stopped doing the bam. He stopped hitting, like maybe he's saved, right? And so maybe when they've been tried and tested of like following Christ is hard when, man, all these peers are wanting me to do this. So that's that area of, man, afraid, are we afraid of grace? Or do you want to keep them over here where they could never, ever, ever, ever have the chance? So just mom and dad make all the decisions, all the decisions. Now, to a certain point, you don't want them running off a cliff or anything. But man, man, is, is there, oh, you know what? They did go and do this. And now let's see what their response is. Is there godly grief? Is there godly sorrow? That leads to repentance. Like, man, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that type of lifestyle. And so for, for you parents, as your kids get older and stuff, just think through that this chapter 7 is a huge part for us, kind of discerning where, where kids' hearts are, um, where, where they get into those older ages. Often uh, they've had very few opportunities where they've actually been tempted on whether following their peers or following their heart, something actually tempting. I'm not talking about a, a TV show or a, a video game. I'm talking about something that you're like, this could be huge. What if they end up following and liking that? Like, are, are, they, are they following Christ in that? Think you might need to have more and more and more talks so the church isn't going to save them. Sunday school is not going to save them. It's continually talking to them about those spiritual points. Um, so um, chapter 7, very helpful for parents. Be patient. Uh, continue sowing gospel seeds. Um, our emphasis that we try to do here at, at this, this chapter 7 is so huge. So here at Sojourn, um, I've got a slide up here of the, um, the, the different, um, those, those different categories there that we move in. So, so the, reason, the Holy Spirit kind of gave this before, like two years, eight, 18 months before we planted the church. Just, hey, what would it take to see lost people come to know Christ, to truly have transformation happen, transformation growth, not just add a whole bunch of people from other existing churches, but to have transformation growth for lost people, but also for believers. So lost people, if there is not conviction over sin and repentance and confession, confession just means agreeing to God. I'm agreeing with you that you have a holy standard. I've broken it in a million ways. I agree with you that you are holy and that I'm sinful. That's confession. If there's not Conviction over sin, repentance, and confession, there's no one going to be saved. If, as a believer, um, you are not feeling convicted, remember you're just offended, and you're just focusing on self, then, 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 then there's not going to be repentance. There will never be change. And the Holy Spirit, and maybe people in your life keep trying to help you see this, but no, just I'm going to go to self. I'm going to go to self. If there's not conviction and repentance and confession of that, um, there's not going to be renewal. So for lost people who are saved, if those first three things aren't there, 
then we can forget. There's no point even trying to have church. But then if you get to that point of through the pathway of conviction, repentance, confession, it leads to renewal. That's spiritual renewal. So for the lost person, that's rebirth. That's John 3. That's Jesus, you know, pray this prayer. Jesus, take the wheel. Carrie Underwood. This is all those, this is renewal, spiritual life. I'm joking. If that's what your spiritual life was based upon, you're in a car. Good luck. And so um, the, the, the whole renewal thing, spiritual life from above. Um, and then rest. Oh, recliner? Nicer vacation? No, resting in Christ. Not, not your ability, not your list, looking to him, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed by beholding what he is and resting in Christ. Um, and so we have renewal that, that now we're resting, and then what do you think happened? I remember when I used to treat everyone this way, and everyone knew it, and finally some people talked to me about it, and I got convicted about it and I repented, and I fell back in, and I kept doing it again, but you know what? I was convicted about it again, and then I repented. I fell back into it again. I keep doing it, and then you know what? But then people talked to me again, and I was open to hearing about it, and then I was convicted and repented, and then I changed and transformed, and now I don't treat people that way anymore. God, you did that work. I wasn't strong enough. I tried and tried, and I didn't do it. It was you, God, that did this work. And that's what we know the gospel teaches. It was all him doing that work in us, us having to respond, and then there's rejoicing, which is what? Worshiping God. Rejoicing is just worshiping God. So now here's the next slide is what I think that we like. Here's what we think of. The top line is Sankey's preference of that. So you see our lifeline there, a big line with uh, life there. And then we meet Christ at the cross. And so that top one, that big circle there, oh, I had this huge um, change in life where I got saved or I gave my heart to Jesus. I asked Jesus into my life. And then for the rest of my life, you know, sometime in the 30s, maybe that second circle there. So that, that whole circle, uh, that cycle of conviction, repentance, confession, renewal, rest, and rejoicing. We kind of, I think, think that, well, in life, you know, well, probably in my 30s or 40s or maybe 50s, there'll be another big time of doing those things. And then, you know, the top line is kind of what we view life as. I think God views it more like this bottom picture. It's ongoing, a lifestyle of faith and repentance. John the Baptist, Jesus hadn't even hit the scene yet. And, and, and John the Baptist's words to the crowds were, um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in your life. Show that you've been changed. Because remember, that the gospel hadn't went out as far as Jesus is dying on the cross yet. It was, you need repentance. Put your faith in God. No one even knew it was Jesus dying on the cross yet. And he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Seeing God's holy standard, convicted that, oh, I have sins. I'm confessing that to you, God. I need to repent and change. You bring new life to me. And just think about that, people. If you're if you're a, a guy that was in your 70s when John the Baptist hit the scene and Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, you were putting your faith in Jesus down on the cross that you didn't even know there. And so all those Old Testament believers, same type of thing. And so I think that's God's view for our life with, with hundreds of circles. That may be a week for you. That instead of your whole lifeline, that may be last week for you. Now, if that happens and you're that type of person that's that responsive to the Holy Spirit, do you think that God loves that much? And do you think that you see a bigger view of yourself or a bigger view of God if you live that? Now, if you have the top line, man, you're pretty self-sufficient. You're pretty productive. Your family looks good. Your life looks good. You're successful. And you go to church. Bonus. And then maybe you know two or three major times. I'm 55 now and I... 
I realized I used to beat my kids and abuse them and treat my wife horribly, and so I, I see now that I shouldn't have done that. Amen. Okay. And some of you may have grown up with parents like that. A couple of generations were kind of like that. And so there's no emotion, no not being aware of themselves, not being aware of their own emotions, not being aware of the way they treat people. And so God's going, no, I, I need you to be softened. And so the beauty of that is, is this is what God opens up to us. So that, that next section in 12 through 16. So although I wrote to you, it was not for your sake, uh, not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, not for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you. You, you lived out that type of repentance, Corinthians. Do you see what God did there? Because I loved you, I confronted this. Do you see you changed and responded? You responded with a softened heart. Titus shows up and he goes, man, what a loving, incredible body of Christ. And yeah, they're all jacked up. But man, what a beautiful picture. And so gospel renewal takes place. What happened to Titus's heart? Rejoicing, worship. What happened with Paul and his crew's heart? Rejoicing in worship. And so do you see the beauty? So, so they're actually living out what? The great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. They're living out the great commission. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And, and that brings worship to God, to Titus. It brings worship of God to Paul and his crew. It should bring worship of God to us to go, he can take people like us if we're responsive in this way and change us. We don't have to go by those old patterns. So do you see what happens when greater love and unity and peace and humility and trust and care and service occurs with one another? It should lead to beautiful, refreshing um, renewal. So you're either celebrating grace or you're afraid of that grace. And so um, this is great commandment and great commission living. So... um, I hope that you see that we as a people would have the same type of opportunity to be that same type of people. If we are um, truly taking the time not to be quickly offended, but to take some time to go before the Holy Spirit and ask someone else, it's very subjective for if I talked about a certain subject matter on a Sunday or someone was in a study with you and they brought up a certain subject matter for you to like go off by yourself and like, I don't think I'm that way. I, I know I wouldn't want to be that way. Surely no one else feels me that way. Therefore, I'm not that way. Move on to the next chapter. And like maybe 10 people in your life are like, oh my gosh, we picked this book just for his sake. Like these two chapters here, like we even took like a uh, you know, big black magic marker and wrote, Sankey, read this chapter. And you're like, I don't think I am though. No, I, I don't think so. And so that's, that's what happens sometimes. And the Holy Spirit's screaming and, and, and people are screaming to you. And you're like, I don't think so though. And so we could be that type of people that are either easily offended or convicted and growing in spiritual renewal. So think through the application, these two big application points. Are you an instrument of comfort like we saw with Titus? Are you allowing yourself to be an instrument of comfort, the application of being that to others? Can you think of a time when God brought comfort to you by using people as the instrument of his comfort? It's usually one of the biggest things that he uses. He uses the church. And that doesn't say anything bad about the Spirit. That doesn't say anything bad about God's Word. Nothing like that. Some of you may be praying and reading and memorizing Scripture and still struggling and struggling and struggling, and you need someone to come along and just to walk with you, to listen, to love you, to encourage you. So can you see that whatever our own estimation of how helpful or useful we are, 
if we just opt out for the sake of our own safety, for the sake of our own comfort, for self, what, what it does to the body of Christ. So think through that. Are you an instrument of comfort? Are you even willing to say, God, I'm willing to be an instrument even if I get bruised and hurt in being an instrument of comfort for other people? And then on the application of learning a lifestyle of spirit, spirit-led renewal, those aspects of conviction, repentance, confession, renewal, rest, rejoicing. For those who are still in their sins, separated from God, you, you need to first of all just soften your heart and receive conviction of sin. It could have been, oh, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was seven. But really, man, my life doesn't give evidence and fruit of this. I'm not seeing ongoing, cyclical faith and renewal, faith and renewal, faith and resting in Christ, rejoicing. I'm not seeing ongoing conviction of sin, ongoing repentance, ongoing confession. And then for people that are believers, if there's this tendency to have this, that chip on your shoulder, just argumentative, offended, not hearing, Instead of, give, instead of giving time for conviction, then, then we'll never grow. We'll just all stay in our own little personality cults. And we'll stay in our own old patterns of, of the way we grew up instead of having the Holy Spirit come. And so these are beautiful gifts that, that can change a whole body. It, it, it worked inside the Corinthian church. So, so now when we go back to the songs that we sang earlier, what if all those are true of the Corinthian church that have passed away 2,000 years ago? But what if those songs that we sang are actually the reality Titus was experiencing there. And God was going, yes, yes, the multiplication of grace. That's what I wanted. Yes, that's what I wanted. I'm not condemning you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not trying to destroy. I want more grace and more love to go out. I want that to be multiplied. And by the way, the people that are watching your life, they notice that. Remember what Jesus said in John 13. Um, but by this love, others will see that you're my disciples, your love for one another. And so that's what he's trying to get to them. So think through that as we go into um, a time of uh, response. Spread and the, the team comes back up here. Just thinking through what is your um, own application? Are you an instrument of comfort? And are you learning that, that cyclical process of conviction, repentance, confession, renewal, rest, rejoicing? You can see that in 2 Corinthians 7 there. Just godly grief that leads to that type of repentance. So let me pray, and we'll give you some time as we sing this song. If you want to um, just take some time to pray yourself, if you want to take some time uh, to sing and, and, and rejoice in that, but just a time of you responding. Father, we do thank you for your spirit that leads us to these things, and sometimes we stiff-arm you. Sometimes we, we prefer a hard heart. We're, we're totally fearful and controlling, Lord. So we are fearful of you raising the hood and, and pulling things out that we need to be changed, we're completely fearful that we would much rather control all the outward appearances and control all the variables and try to know what, what's exactly going to happen next, and yet you don't give us that, and you want us to be softened. And so, Father, we pray that you would allow us to, to be a people that respond in that way. We pray that you would soften hearts, that you would make us a people that loving, that expressive of this. Um, we thank you that you can take all of our sin even our sins as believers, and that you can truly change us. Help us to see how you do that. In your name we pray. Amen.